Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. We continue to have 15 to 18 people in our Bible studies on Monday. So that is awesome. So again, continue to come on the Bible studies. I want you to get your Bibles out right now, and let's turn to Isaiah chapter 49. Praise the Lord. How many old school have your own Bible? Do you actually have your Bible up? Okay, there you go. Come on, Miss Linda. Come on, Miss Linda. How many have your tablets? Raise your tablets up for the, okay, I have to raise mine up. Let's go before the Lord. Isaiah 49, we're going to be reading verse 1 through verse 2 in the NIV, in the NIV. So if you don't have that, you can look at the screen. Uh, But this is a one-time message, so I don't want any distractions. If you're on your phone and you're distracted, or if you see someone on your phone next to you distracted, kind of lovingly elbow them and say, pay attention. Come on. Don't be scrolling on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. You come to the house of the Lord to hear the word of the Lord. Come on. And to meet God. So let's pray. Father, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would anoint your word today. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that your gifts, your power, your anointing will follow the preaching of the word. Lord, as the Apostle Paul prayed, as I pray every day, Lord, I pray that the preaching of, my, of your word today will not be an eloquency of speech, but in the demonstration of spirit and power. Let transformation and burning hearts be a result of the preaching of the word of God. I bind the devil that would try to distract. I bind every work of darkness and plan of the enemy. And I ask that we will have hearing hearing ears to hear the word of the Lord. And everyone said, now everyone say, say, speak to me, Lord. No, I'm serious. Say, speak to me, Lord. I think sometimes we go to church and we're so consumed with everything else and we leave. We're like, what did the pastor say? What did this person say? Let's, let's be focused to see what the Lord is saying. And everyone said, uh, I, as I, I'm in between series, so when I'm in between series, I like to just kind of share my heart prophetically sometimes. And today, this is one of those days. And I, I, you're, I dream, believe me, you're going to go on a journey with me today. I know that you're going to see some illustrations here. Uh, I'm going to share something with you that I actually shared with Rooted about uh, with just 12 people Rooted last year. But I did it really quick. It was like a, a day or two preparation. But I got a lot more material. And so, Rooted, you kind of heard a little bit of this before. But I promise you, you haven't heard the whole thing. Everybody say amen. The Bible says, Isaiah says, listen to me, you islands. Now, listen to this. I want you to, to hear this very well. You distant nations, before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. Now watch this. He made me, or he has made me, into a polished arrow. Everybody say polished arrow. Listen to this. And concealed me in his quiver. Say concealed me in his quiver. And so this, let me give you an introduction of this, of the, of this uh, sermon here and of this uh, passage. This scripture is primarily talking about the Messiah. It's a messianic scripture the, about the servant of the Lord, okay? Uh, and, but there's debates on that too. Some theologians, as they read this, or some commentaries, some well-known commentaries, uh, think that it was Isaiah's. Um, speaking about himself for the affirmation of himself that he was, and God called him in the mother's room and God shaped him like an arrow. Now, either way, this is what I'm trying to tell you today. Whatever, whatever view that you have, because I have to say this because there's some theologians in the house, okay? Uh, this is, is kind of a messianic uh, scripture. But prophetically, everybody say prophetically, when it's talking about the servant of the Lord being Jesus Christ, we are also servants of the Lord. Okay, and the Bible talks about us also being as uh, with a double-edged sword coming out of our mouth and a, a sword in our hand. And the Bible also talks about, in other words, that children will be arrows. Today, I want to talk about being a polished arrow, the making of a polished arrow. He didn't say an arrow. He said a polished arrow. And today I'm going to walk through you the process of what it means to really think about that. Because here, here's the thing. Well, there's a little intro for me, okay? So the, um, there's a lot of times in Scripture that the Lord uses analogies like this and symbolisms like this. Because think about it. How can a human being be, be an arrow? But yet the Bible says he's, poli- he's made me as a polished arrow. So watch this. There, even the Bible has symbolisms 
and prophetic symbolisms of what God wants us to be or attributing it to his very own nature. If you look at the book of Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation, God describes himself as in his glory as with oxes and, and humans, a face of a human and a face of an eagle. All right, so watch this. There's many symbolisms in the Bible that, uh, that God throws, but it's, watch this, our job, say my job, to find out the characteristics of that thing that he's describing so we can really get a revelation of what he's trying to say. For instance, the Bible, the Bible is, is uh, in some symbolism there. He says, uh, the righteous are as bold as a... Now, now see, you see that symbolism. He didn't say the righteous are as bold as hyenas, right? Now, hyenas are pretty bold. But for some reason, listen to this, for some reason, God said a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion, not a hyena. So it's our job to figure out the characteristics of a lion to figure out what he's trying to say. If he's saying, so he didn't say, in another place he said, um, the, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew the strength and they shall mount up with wings as, he didn't say they will mount up with wings as hummingbirds. Now how many, how many know that hummingbirds have some strong wings? And they could, their, their wings could flap, I don't know how many hundreds of times per second. I mean, it's just crazy. But he didn't act. He, listen, he could have said hummingbirds because those wings are strong. They could have said, those that wait upon the Lord, their wings will be as strong as a hummingbird. He said, no, their wing, they shall, my people, shall mount up with wings as eagles. So then it's our job to see what is an eagle that God is, is relating that to us. Do you hear me now? Do you hear me? He said we're the salt of the earth, not, not, not the sugar of the earth. Some of, you are, some of you are like, I wish I was the sugar of the earth. Some of you are acting like the sugar of the earth. I won't even go there. You're acting like the sugar of the earth, getting all these delicacies of the world. Come on. We, that's not us. We're not sugar. We're salt. We're salty in the spirit realm. There's a lot of attributes of salt that I preached before. Salt makes people thirsty. Are you making thirsty for God? Salt wakes people up when they're unconscious. Do you have salt? So it's our job to find out what he means by a polished arrow. Everybody say polished arrow. So I believe prophetically that the Lord is raising up in this hour arrows that are being, being polished to eventually be trusted to be in his quiver for one reason. So you could be launched out and hit the target. The target, listen, the target of your destiny and your purpose but also, in his quiver, the main reason archers had an arrow, are you ready for this? Was to strike the heart of the enemy. God is going to use, I feel the anointing. God is using, uh, uh, polishing you to be in his quiver for one main purpose. Not just to, for you to receive and fulfill your destiny. It's for him to launch you as sons and daughters to strike the plans of the enemy down. And he's going to use it through you. I have news for you. Very rare, rare, rare does he just send an angel and wipe everything out. He's done that a couple times in the Bible. But the majority of the time he uses people, his people, to destroy the works of the enemy. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy, destroy, abolish the, the, the works of the devil. But today, God is polishing the body of Christ. And if we're not careful and we don't yield to that process, we'll never get into the quiver. Listen to this. God spoke this to me yesterday. There's many arrows spiritually, okay? There's many arrows spiritually belonging to us, right, that are not fully made because they didn't yield to the process and they never got into the quiver. They never got into the quiver. So I'm going to talk about the process. Everybody say process. So you're going to shout with me, okay? That was just my intro, all right? Number one, look at this first, this first uh, uh, point. The makers of an arrow, they looked for the strongest, healthiest trees to make the part of the arrow. Let's say that again. The makers of an arrow, they searched for the strongest, healthiest, sturdiest trees to get the wood, everybody say wood, from that tree to make an arrow. And the reason why the makers in the, in the Bible times, the, the craftsmen would actually search for these uh, trees, these healthy, strong trees, is because they knew that whatever the tree had, the arrow will eventually have. You missed that part. 
that the DNA of the tree that they chose would have the DNA of the arrow when it's produced. So the same strength and the same, the same DNA, the same wood, the same type of, of, of texture of the wood would be in the arrow. They would look for trees like cedar trees and strong oak trees because they last long. Come on, say amen. And so it's interesting because the Bible talks about, there's something, is there something wrong with my mic or no? I just feel something, no? Okay. Am I holding it right? Down? Like this? Like this? Like this? All right. It's interesting because the Bible talks about trees, about say trees, all right? Being symbolic about a couple of things. Now, you need to, I'm going to wordplay a lot today because we're talking about you and I being made, about say made, into a polished arrow. So remember, that word made takes time. It takes time. All right, to make you a polished arrow. And I'm going to give you, some of you are going to be like, ouch, but I'm going to tell you the process that these uh, makers made the arrows and how it relates to you. So you have understanding why you're going through what you're going through. So you have understanding, I said, to know why you're going through what you're going through. Okay, so in, the, in tree, the Bible is symbolic of trees, right? Trees are symbolic of a couple of things in the Bible. Number one, watch this, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. I'm, I'm, I'm entering into my main points here. A tree is symbolic of us. The Bible says uh, that when Jesus uh, he, uh, spit, spat on a blind man and was born blind, he said, could you see now? He goes, I see men like trees walking, right? There's a song, let the trees of the field clap their hands. So it's, so it's symbolic of us, trees, okay? This is important. This is important. But trees are also symbolic, tree, symbolic because of the wood, are symbolic of the instrument. Now watch this. This is going to make you shout. The instrument by which the, crucifi- the, crucif- the cross was made. They, the, now watch this. Sometimes, as I read, the same tree that was used to build a cross, that same wood, that same tree, would be the same wood and tree that they would build an arrow. Okay? Now watch this. If you, if you, if you study history, the cross was wood. It's a wooden cross. And it was a big wooden beam that was taken from these trees so it can last long. What does that speak to us? When we are in a process of being molded into an arrow, number one, it speaks of we need to be crucified with Christ because the Bible says we need to have a crucified lifestyle. To be a polished arrow is to be somebody that's crucified with Christ. Hear me, guys. Hear me now. What is being crucified with Christ? The Bible says I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It means all the things that we have desired in the past and are trying to rise up, we crucify them. The Bible, the Bible also says that the cross is symbolic of, sorry, wood is, and trees are symbolic of the cross. Galatians chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it for you. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So he, so he metaphorically called the cross a tree. Wood. Watch this. So the first part of making an arrow here is not only would they get the strongest wood, but wood is symbolic of the cross. Now, I'm gonna, now this is where I'm going to preach a little bit. Part two of this when it comes to us as Christians, and I'm talking to believers now, okay? So please don't get offended uh, if this is your occupation because I, I don't know many of your occupation, all right? But as Christians, when you're talking about the tree and the wood to get the arrow, which is symbolic of the cross, everybody say the cross, we as Christians need to start preaching the cross more because we no longer preach the cross anymore. Christians and preachers, they're more spiritual motivational speakers that get people by their day. We're, 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 listen, I, I'm not against motivational speakers in the house. If you are a motivational speaker or if you're a life coach as a profession, praise God. I'm talking about the preaching of the gospel has become, has become, has become life coach sessions. The preaching of the gospel in many churches and even with your friends, it's, hey, it's, you're going to make it. Hey, I'm with you. And I believe in all that. I believe in that. But there's no power in spiritual life coaches. There's only power in the preaching of the cross. 
and the results of the cross. When you see people on the street and they're struggling with addiction and you're saying to them, hey, listen, you're just going to make it. I believe in you. You know, it's going to I'm going to give you a hug. And if you listen, if you don't give up, there's a reward at the end. Okay, that is great. But if you teach them that Jesus Christ died on the cross and resurrected and now power, power is available to them. The power of the cross. Listen, listen, look, look, listen to the next slide. The reason the early church had power is because the early church preached the cross and Jesus crucified. The early church primarily preached. You want to be an arrow in the Lord? Watch this. This is where I'm going. You want to be an arrow polished in his quiver? We've got to get back to the cross. As a church, we've, where, where's these teachings? Where's the cross been in teachings? We only reserve it for Easter. We only reserve it for Resurrection Sunday. The early church, okay, I'm going to give you scripture. The early church walked in great power because in their conversation, they preached what Jesus did on the cross instead of trying to help them get through their day. Here's my, here's, I want to change things for you. When you start taking, talking to people, start talking to them of the, of the power of God that's available to them to be free because the Holy Spirit now lives in them if they're born again. I know that sounds preachy, but like we have become so motivational. I, I, I just don't like motivational Christianity. I, I believe in, in, in encouragement all the time, but if all we do, me and Pastor Keith are talking about this, we got convicted. Remember, Pastor Keith, we got convicted because there was a, a, a couple years ago, there was a homeless man and he was talking to himself. And listen, he was bound by all these things. And we would just kind of, in, in good way, we didn't do anything wrong. We would kind of try to get meals for him, pacify him, and get things. And we helped him with all these government programs. But he still was drunk and he still was messed up. And we still, and all of a sudden we had this, this call. He goes, we should be casting these things out. Why aren't we, te- but this is what we do. Hey, it's okay, it's okay. And the person's like, ah, hey, it's okay, let's give us some food. We're not called to be life coaches in the spirit. Now watch, now watch, watch. Guys, conversations, let's stop pacifying other people's problems. Not to be rude, but they're still going to be bound. You're not helping them at all. Show sympathy. But take authority. Look, 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 look at this. Look at this. Look at this. First Corinthians chapter 1. Church, please listen to this. Because I'm about to tell you, I'm about to tell you what this arrow is about. Okay. Look at First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. All right? In the NLT. Are you getting something? Now watch this. The message, say this with me, of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the what? Come on. It's the what? What's the very power of God? The preaching of the cross. Now, I'm not saying all your preaching has to involve the word cross in it. But it has to point to what Jesus did. Your conversations with people that are bound, after you encourage them, don't leave them. Just like I'm going to encourage Offer them something deeper. What is it? You know what? Can we pray right now for deliverance for you? What do you mean? Come on, girl. Come on. I'm just talking. I'm just opening up to you. I understand, but do you want to say that way? Come on. Let's ask God for the power of God in this situation. I know that sounds so preachy, but we we don't talk that way anymore. We're life coaches. That's what we are. We're motivational speakers to each other. That's what we are. Here's my question to you. How's that working for you? How's that working? How those, how those just kind of pass on your back? Are you still struggling with lust? Still struggling with anger? Watch this. I'm going to keep going. Verse 22. It is foolishness to the Jews, watch this, who ask for a sign from heaven. And it is foolishness to the Greeks who see, you, seek human wisdom. Follow me. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, what do they say? When we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. I'll add the PGV version, and, and, and RCC sometimes thinks it's nonsense. Or, or, and the Church of America thinks it's nonsense. But to the, those who, who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We must understand in this journey that those who have the Holy Spirit is going to take us through a process. He's going to take us through a process. And that wood that made the arrow also made the cross. Okay, also made the cross. So in the same sense, we've got to start going back to the cross in our preaching. 
in our, in our dialogue with people. Now, again, it doesn't mean, I believe it doesn't mean that you have to say the word cross all the time. What I'm saying is we can no longer just be satisfied with patty caking somebody when they're in sin and when they're in darkness. We first encourage them, but let's introduce the power of God in that conversation. Can we do that? Can we? Just, I know that sounds weird, right, to some of us, because we have those conversations and no one gets prayed for. The cross is not preached. The crucifixion of Jesus and the life of Jesus that's available for us is not preached. So watch this. The second thing that it would do. Now, this is going to be good now, okay? Now, this is not a wooden arrow, but I want you to pretend this is some nice black wood. Okay? The next thing that they would do, put the second thing up. Watch this. When they would shape an arrow. Now, it was, this is not fully, this is not fully, uh, it was not fully done yet, but they would, they, what they would do is they would, they would soak the, oil, the, the, the arrow in oil. They would soak the arrow with oil because the wood had splinters and it had to be, it had to be uh, flexible. All right? Had to be flexible. So they would dip it and marinate it in oil and they would stay in oil for a while. This, is my, this is part is going to be the biggest part of my sermon. Okay, and they would leave it there for a while until all the oil was from the outside soaked into the inside of the wood of the of the of the arrow. And why do I say that? Because oil in scripture is symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Watch this, watch this, and the presence of God. The oil of in the in the scripture is symbolic of the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit or the presence of God. And this is absolutely we need to absolutely learn how to get that oil. Now now there's two main ways to get spiritual oil. There's two main ways, two main avenues. Because there's a cost for oil. The problem with the church is that we want oil without it costing us anything. We want oil of the Spirit without, uh, we want it for free. We don't want it to cost, but I have news for you. God is always going to give oil to those who have been paid the cost to get that oil. Now, there's two ways, and the first way is the way that everyone thinks about how to get spiritual oil, all right? And it's more of the fun, enjoyable part. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the fun, enjoyable part first. How many want oil in their life? Listen, in order for it to even qualify to be in the quiver, it had to soak in oil for a while. There's a lot of people that want to be used by God without any oil in their life. They, they got good messages, but they got no oil. They got good techniques, but they got no oil. And oil is what's going to change people's lives. The Bible says in Isaiah that the yoke was destroyed by the anointing oil. It was destroyed. That means you can't put it back together. You have a lot of people and a lot of Christians that they're, they're really good at talking. They're really good at singing, but they have very little oil. There's a lot of people want to rush to be used by God, and they haven't been dipped long enough. Watch this. The first way that of the cost to get oil is put it up. Put, it, put that, that first up there. It's taking some time out of our busy lives. To stay still enough. This is key. Uh, I, uh, this is basic, but I want to read it real carefully. To stay still long enough. Guys, you can't even stay still while I'm preaching. Come on now. Let's be honest. I'm not talking about bathroom breaks. I get that. But you can't even, you can't even focus for 30 minutes on me. Come on. I'm just preaching what you know is true. You get convicted now because you're like, oh, oh, sorry. Just talking. But it shouldn't be that way. The first price to get oil, you want oil? Silence yourself, watch this. Stay still long enough to soak in worship and the study of God's word so he could pour out his oil from that place. That means, watch this, this is simple. Now, this is the enjoyable part, but it's still a cost. If I say cost, it is a cost, and I'll tell you why. Because you have to actually block out time. A lot of people, please, you're going to get, some of you are going to get mad at me. Say, well, my time with God is, you know, when I get a chance, when I get an opening, I spend time with God. The Bible says Jesus woke up early and went to a solitary place, and there he prayed. 
In other words, he said, I got to get away from the people. This is my time with Jesus because if I don't have time with Jesus, I'm going to get cranky with my husband. I'm going to get cranky with my wife. I'm going to get cranky with my kids. I'm going to get cranky with everybody. And listen, you're going to start hating even the things of God that God has given you to do. If you don't have oil, you're going to be running off old oil. Listen, 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 listen. This is beautiful. You have to have oil in order to get the presence of God in your life. But there's a price to pay. For instance, you have to block time even from your family on Saturdays I'm like sometimes I've been doing this for years on Saturdays I there's a there's a time that I can't go anywhere because I'm studying here I have to pay that price guess what a lot of people say man that was a download from God I'm like that's not a download I searched for that man I dug for that I had to go for hours and days figuring out sometimes like I told Joanne I'll have a writer's block and I'll get in my car and I'm like God speak to me the people are waiting for a word it's a price to pay for oil you got to get deep. you got to spend hours in the Word. you got to worship the Lord. If you want God to use you with might and power, get oil in your life. But how do you do it? Stand still and know that I'm God. But I work 12 hours. Well, we got 24 hours out of the day. God will be an unjust God if we didn't have enough time when he created 24 hours. It's not a, time, it's not a matter of us not having time. It's a matter of us mismanaging our time mismanaging our time. We've got to listen. I know this is simple. This is the first part. But can I be honest? Even though this is enjoyable to you, this is, by the way, this is a little bonus. This first part of getting oil is actually enjoyable to you. The, one, the part that's not enjoyable is when you have to pay that initial price. But when you do, everything in you is like, oh, oh my friends are going out on Saturday, but i got to study the word. Oh, oh, they invited me to game night. Oh. i got to get to the word. i got to get back. i got to get back to the word. got to get back to the word. I'm just giving you my example. Sometimes it's you. My responsibility is greater than yours when it comes to preaching the word. I got to study every single week. I got to come up with new content every week. But guess what? I don't want to. I don't want to study the word just because I know I have to preach. That's the dangerous part. Now here's the enjoyable part. Once you actually block out that time and stop making excuses for your life and block out time undistracted, watch this. You you actually enjoy it. You start enjoying the word. You're, you're enjoying it. But watch the bonus. As you enjoy the Lord, he's pouring oil. He's pouring oil and he's preparing you. Nobody can come out of the quiver unless they've been with the Lord. Now watch this. That's the easy part, right? The easy part is soaking. Here's, the, here's the number two. Here's the second way to get oil. And I'm telling you, hardly anybody gets this. Remain standing. This is key. The verbiage is key. Remain standing and not giving up while going through severe testing, trials, and tribulation. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to make this very clear, very clear. You don't get oil just by going through trials and tribulation. You get oil by standing and not giving up while you're going through. But, but in other words, I'm still going to serve. I'm in aching pain. I can barely walk, but I'm going to show up and preach. I'm going to lead my team. I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to show up on prayer and lead prayer with Pastor Keith, and I can barely walk. What you guys don't know, and this is not me. I, this is not showing on me. This past Tuesday, we had a powerful, with Shalini, and, and powerful, powerful, powerful time in prayer. But you guys only see the end result. I was up in a special, special chair, up like this on a special gravity chair for two hours. And I told my team, hey, don't bother me for two hours because the pain was so bad. I got up, got up in time, come here, and I, and I, and I, that's, here's the thing. There's another way to get oil. Watch this. And the greatest, one of the greatest way to get oil in your life is to stay standing while going through fiery trials. Because if you can, listen, you want oil in your life? Here's the key. Not just worship God and, stand, and spend time with God and the word. Endure fiery trials. Watch this. Here's the key, though. Here's the key. And act in your faith like you're unmovable and that you're still going to do it. Most people give up the fight when they're going through trials, and God will never finish the process of making them into an a polished arrow. Remember, he didn't say an arrow. He said a polished arrow. Now, watch this. We have to experience. Everybody say, I have to experience. Trials and tribulations. And stay strong. For God to give me oil. 
Many of us, I said this before, but I have to say this again. Many of us want new wine. We want the wine of the Spirit. We want the oil of the Spirit. And we're praying for the new wine. We're praying for the oil. And God goes, you want it? Yes, Lord, I need a fresh anointing in my life. I want oil in my life. God then gives you grapes and he gives you olives. But no, I want, I want wine. I want the oil. Here's grapes and olives. Why? Because the grapes have to be crushed to get wine. And olives have to be crushed to get oil. What if God has given you grapes and olives and you're waiting for it to be wine and oil? But it's through the crushing process and you staying faithful that God watches and says, now I could trust them. Now I could trust them with oil. Look at this. Look at Romans chapter 5. Are you getting something? Sometimes I'll be preaching and there's transformation. I'm like, and I don't feel anything. I'm like, this is just God in his mercy. Romans 5, verse 3 through 4. Oh, this is going to help you guys. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, I rebuke that. For we know, if I say we know, that they, what's they? Trials. They help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And then character strengthens our confidence, hope, in salvation. Look at all these benefits just by enduring trials. Great oil is about to come on the body of Christ. But here's a little secret. Everybody say, here's a little secret. If you want great oil in your life, here's, here's the key. You need to have a combination of both, not just one or the other. You're going to have to have a lifestyle that you actually get away with God. And I, and I practiced even that uh, more, more intentionally lately where I actually go on a trip and I go on a park uh, either by myself or with my friend and we just spend time with God, okay? And then, watch this, that's one. You're going to have to block out time of your busy schedule. You're going to have to actually, watch this, this is a curse word, focus. <laughs> focus for longer than 15 minutes. Now, if that's where you have right now, start with that. Start with that, all right? But we have to start focusing on just God, on just maybe 10 minutes of, of the word of the day, 10 minutes of prayer and 10 minutes of worship. Or start with five minutes, and then five minutes, and five minutes. And you start making it a habit, right? Watch this. And God will start filling you and trusting you with oil. But here's, here's the secret. Here's the secret. Because King David, or I say King David, is an example of someone who had great oil on his life, anointing. But he had, he, he had both very strong. Okay, watch this. Look at what Psalm 92, one of my favorite uh, verses is there. Everybody turn to Psalm 92 real quick. Turn with me, if you will. Psalm 92, verse 10 in the New King James Version. Are you getting something this morning? Now watch this. This is really part two. Remember, the arrow is being dipped in oil, but there's two ways to get oil. It's, it's through your devotion, undistracted in the word and in worship privately, and going through trials and tribulations and standing still, and watch this, still declaring the goodness of God. Woo. Still declaring the promises of God while you're going through fiery trials, while you're going through the divorce, while you're going through pain, while you're going through affliction, and still declaring the voice of the Lord that God is good. And watch this, watch this. Here's the key. Still showing up. I feel life on that word. I don't know why. Show up. Keep showing up. Don't, listen, because if you keep showing up, here's, here's what's going to happen. Watch. He says, my horn, look at this, my horn. Let's read this together. You have exalted like a wild ox. This is King David, okay. I have been anointed, oh, I love this, with fresh oil. What did David do to get fresh oil? Notice he said fresh oil, not stale oil. He didn't say stale oil. What is an example of stale oil? I'll give you just one little example. Feeding off of old revelation all the time. There's no new revelation in your life. There's new word. You, you, something that you learned 10 years ago, praise God for that. But there's nothing new. But it's true and it's still powerful. But you still grab it onto that old, old revelation that you had on Scripture. And you're not getting anything deeper now. Come on. Give me this day my daily bread. Say daily bread. So, so what did as you, David? What did God? David have to do to get that oil? Number one, he was the main psalmist of Israel. 
So think about this. Think about like the first point. He was the main psalmist of Israel, and many times he would go to the wilderness and strum away and worship God with his instrument. Come on, guys. Come on. You don't need an instrument to worship God. But he actually was a worship leader. He was a psalmist, and he said, I'm going to take my instrument, not pray in front of people, and I'm going to go into the wilderness, and I'm going to say how good God is. And by the way, his worship and his gift in worship and his abandonment in God actually got the attention not only of God but of wicked Saul. And he didn't even know his name. There was a person that would pass by him all the time. He would just work. I didn't know what he was singing, but, man, if I could imagine that Saul's assistant would be walking by like, man, that is a beautiful sign. I feel peace every time I walk by this area. And then Saul had demons, literally, demons controlling him. And he's like, how do I stop these demons, he, the, the voices? And I, how do I stop this? And his assistant goes, hey, listen, there's a son of Jesse. Every time I pass by there, he's playing that harp. Why don't we come and call him and play for the king? And you know the story. That's a whole different sermon. And he, he got elevated. He went from the pasture, pasture, the grass, to the palace in one day. Because, because of his devotion, his steady devotion, right? Now, what's the trials he got to go through? Do you guys, just a couple trials? Just a couple minor trials that David went through to get that oil when he said, I've been anointed with fresh oil. Let's, let's, let's talk about some. He ran for years from King Saul without him doing anything wrong. Imagine you not doing anything wrong, just following God, and people are jealous of you because you're just following God. And his commandments, and they hate you. But it's not just anybody. It's the president of the United States with his army trying to chase you down. Imagine your self-esteem. Imagine, Jessica, if the president of the United States said, everyone go after Jessica. I don't like the way she sings. She sings really good, and I don't want her to take my place. And the president sends his forces, and you're running for your life. Hello? That's a little, that's, that's, that's big, right? How about his own son, Absalom? Look at your beautiful baby. Your own son that grew up, Absalom, wanted to kill him, kill. Actually, actually tried to execute killing David until the assistant killed, killed Absalom. David's assistant killed him. But Absalom was, had forces ready to kill his dad. He made mistakes and he repented. Watch this. And God says, now you've endured, I could trust you with oil. I have an announcement to make to RCC. If you want the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be greater in your life, you need to start focusing on God like a laser beam. Right? And you need to stop crying about every trial and tribulation. Now, watch this. This is, this is going to be, this is going to be something that I, I, I actually did last night, and it's not, I don't even think I, I gave it to them. I believe that one of the things the body of Christ in the Western culture has lost, please zoom in on me, this is key, this is key, is the doctrine of suffering. I'm going to let that marinate just for, just, just for a little bit, let, let, let it cook in the pot for a little bit. One of the things that has been lost in the Western church, we're the Western church, is the doctrine. That means the actual biblical teaching and acceptance of suffering. Wait a minute now. Pastor George is preaching blasphemy. How can I? We spend more time rebuking suffering when the early church embraced it. You know why they embraced it? Because they didn't think that it was not part of their life. They didn't think that it was not part of their doctrine. The early church walked with power because they embraced intimacy and suffering as part of the game. Can I be honest? I've been guilty of that too. I've been guilty of saying, oh, God, I don't want this. Get this out of me. I'm going to quit. And waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing happens. And I finally realized, what if, like the early church, God is allowing it for, for whatever reason because it's part of my journey? Paul the Apostle, he said, I long to know Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 3, that I may know him. Yeah, he said, I count everything as dung. You know what dung is, right? Poo-poo. <laughs> I count everything as poo-poo. Watch this. So that I may know him. Come on, we stop right there. All of us, we stop right there. Oh, we want to know him in our youth groups and our service. I want to know you, God. He goes, no, 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 no that, that's incomplete. I want to know you. He said, he said he desired. He desired. Let's trip me up. And the fellowship of your suffering. 
I'm like, come on, Paul, you don't want that. Come on, just desire to know him, not suffering. We have lost the embrace of suffering. Do you understand? <laughs> Do you understand that I'm not trying to be insensitive to, to trials and tribulation? I'm trying to tell you that if we were transported in a time machine, us Christians, and transported 2,000 years ago and lived Christian life as a Christian now, with them, we would, we would fall so quickly because we will be offended so quickly about all the persecution that's happening to us and God is not saving us. We will be offended so bad all the suffering. Look at this. Everybody say doctrine of suffering. I'm not talking about inviting suffering. I'm talking about when suffering comes, it's part of the process of a polished arrow. It's part of you being shaped to put be in his quiver. Watch this. And yes, it hurts. And yes, it's, it, it, it's part. But here's the thing. This life, we are going to suffer, but here's what suffering does. Watch this. I believe suffering has a way to purify us and establish us in ways that other things don't have the power to do. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say that again. I believe, I believe that suffering has the capacity to establish us and purify us like any other, unlike any other thing in the body of Christ. Watch 1 Peter chapter 5 if you don't believe me. Are you ready? 1 Peter chapter 5, look up on the screen, look in your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. God is good this morning. I want to encourage you. Oil is about to come on you. As a matter of fact, let me prophesy this. The reason why trials and tribulations are happening because he trusts you. Because he wants to use you. Because he wants to know if you could sustain the pressure so you could have more oil. Watch this. Read this with me because you guys are going to love this. Watch this. But may the God of all grace, we just finished a series on grace, right? Look at this. Read this with me. Who called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you've suffered a while. <laughs> Listen, after you suffered a while, this is what's going to happen. He will perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. Four benefits of, of, of handling suffering in your life. Suffering after you suffered a while? Wait a minute, that doesn't sound godly. After you've suffered a while, he's going to perfect you, he's going to establish you, he's going to strengthen you, and he's going to settle you. Why? Because the oil of suffering, the, the suffering that produces oil, will, will dictate what's in our hearts. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, a, listen, I'm going to give you a little secret about my life, all right? I never knew all the junk that was in my heart until I started suffering. And God said, it was already there, son. You think it just came when the suffering, it was already there, but suffering magnified it. When I suffered, all this junk come out of my mouth. I'm going to be honest with you, it was junk. It was bad. It was, I hate you. And I didn't say I hate you, but I said, I hate my life. I said, I hate my life. Junk. You know why? Because I didn't understand that maybe I needed to embrace the suffering and ask God for grace, right? Instead of trying to rebuke it all the time and trying to say why. Why? He's in a process to purify me. But most importantly, listen, more than just using you, the oil of trials and tribulation is to purify you like gold. He uses trials and tribulations as a main avenue. Come on, say amen. Say amen. amen. After you suffered a while, say he'll perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Now watch this. Now watch this. You know what? The, this is insane. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. When I read that, I started laughing. I'm like, they are re they're ending that sentence by saying glory to God. <laughs> the writer, listen, First Peter, Peter's going, after you suffered a while, guys, and you, you were established and you're perfected, he goes, to him be all the glory and the dominion forever, amen. I'll be like, oh, no. And the early church, they praised God that they, had the, they, that they were counted worthy to be chosen, to, beat up, to be beaten for the sake of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying to invite that, but I mean, Paul and Silas and Peter, they would get out of prison, and they said, don't say the name of Jesus anymore. And they say, how can we not say what we have seen and heard? But then after they got beat, 
right? They're getting out, and the Bible says that they were rejoicing, like, yo, we got beat up for God. Oh, Peter, my God, look at these stripes. Oh, this hurts, but God chose us so that we could proclaim the gospel without turning. Without turning, they heard the gospel. See, we don't, we don't, we're not going to say amen to that here. All right, well, I'll continue, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to close, okay? The last one, the last, so they got the strongest wood because, listen, whatever was inside the wood, remember, was in the arrow. You have the DNA of God inside of you by the Holy Spirit, right? Number two, it was soaked in oil. We just learned how do you get oil? By stopping and focusing and also the trials and tribulations that you stay standing. That's how you get great oil. And here's a third one. Here's going to be good now. Here's going to be good now. Put that, la- put that third one up. This is going to be good now. Hear, hear me this. The third and last process of making an arrow is the arrows were smoothed out and ready for flight by the pounding and molding from a rock. This is a heavy rock. (laughs) Glory to God. So the arrow, when it was out of the oil, watch this now. Guys, I'm going to say something that is going to shock you. They would, the arrow would be put on a, on a table, and they would get a rock. And they, the rock would smooth the rough edges out. Everybody say the rock would do it. See, on the second part, it was mostly Satan with his attacks. But the third part is the rock. See, you can't blame the devil all the time for your process. Sometimes the rock himself is molding you and shaping you and renewing you. Listen, listen, there's a difference between trials and tribulations that you go through from the enemy that God uses you to get oil. But there's a difference between now the rock, Christ Jesus, molding and smoothing your rough edges out because he loves you. I said because he loves you. 2 Samuel 22, verse 47, it is talked about the Lord being the rock. Watch this. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. I remember that song. Let the God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. Who's the rock? Who's the rock? The rock pounded and molded and smoothed out the arrow. It wasn't the devil. On the third part, now watch this. There is a difference. Put this up because this is going to set you free. Look at this slide up. Look at this point. There is a difference between the discipline of the Lord. Hear me now. And the pruning of the Lord. Woo! They're both from the Lord. They're both from the rock. And it doesn't feel good. But they're both from the rock. Okay? Because the rock's goal is to smooth you out. Because if he gets you out from the quiver unsmoothed and unmolded, you will be erratic in flight. You won't hit your target. Stop, stop, stop shortcutting the process. He's like, oh, you're angry? Okay, you're angry? That's the part, that's the part that I, I'm going to, I love you. And listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. George, listen to me. I know you're, you're mad right now, but, but you don't understand what I'm doing in your life. I am molding you, and I am shaping you, and you're complaining, but I'm trying to highlight that. It's me that I'm trying to get you to look like me. I'm trying to get you, I'm trying to get you to look like me. There's a difference between pruning and disciplining, but they're both from the rock. And this last part out, and the rock was also used to sharpen the point of the arrow so it could be effective. Watch this. God prunes those who are already bearing fruit. That, here's the difference. I'm going to tell you what the difference between, between pruning and disciplining from the Lord. How many agree? Let me just ask this. How many have been pruned by the Lord before? Experience pruning. Okay, put your hands on. How many have experienced the discipline of the Lord? I'm going to get to the, both of that. Both of them feel hard, and they're a little hurtful, okay? But I'm going to tell you this. They're done on purpose to get us to look like Christ. Watch this now. Watch this. 
pruning are only given to those who are already bearing fruit. So that means if you're being pruned, listen to this, if you're being pruned, that means you're already bearing fruit. And God trusts you with more. John 15. Look it up there. Look at John 15. I'll be real quick. John 15, uh, ver- verse, uh, verse 2. Every branch that is in me, Jesus said, look at this. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Everybody say takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, this is not fun. Wait a minute. You're bearing fruit. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're complaining, but he's trying to get more fruit in you. So what does pruning look like? Pruning looks like sometimes you're doing the right things and people start leaving you. You didn't do anything wrong. Or there's things in your life that he's cutting away while you're bearing fruit. He's cutting some un, uh, some unnecessary things. And those things that he's cutting away from you hurts. Because as you're bearing fruit, he may speak to you and say, cut that relationship off. It's dangerous for you. Or while you're bearing fruit, he's saying, I want you to go on a media fast because you're on media for so long. I want to cut that thing off of your life. And it hurts. And it hurts. He takes away things that are not bearing fruit. Look, look at this. And then he prunes. But the discipline, please hear me now. But the discipline of the Lord, it still hurts. But the discipline of the Lord is because, watch this, he's trying to correct some error in you. He's trying to correct some erratic behavior in you because he loves you. And the goal of it is to get you, listen, this is a curse word again, to repent, to turn. And so he disciplines us because he loves us. David, what we talked about, said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted. In other words, I was doing my own thing, but when he disciplined me, I said, oh, okay, Lord. I know you love me. Oh, this hurts. He's trying to get you back in the will of God. Some of you are steering away from the will of God, and he sends his discipline to smooth you out. And sometimes, watch this, you're not going to like this. He uses, God forbid, people to help you in that process. He uses your pastor. He uses others to speak in your life, maybe to, to, to bring something to challenge you or to lovingly correct you. Now watch this. I, 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 please listen to me. This is one of the last scriptures. It's long, but I want you to go with me to Hebrews 12 in the, in the Passion Translation. I don't want the worship team to start getting up um, after, after I read this scripture. In the Passion Translation, I want you to see this, okay? The TPT. Because I've read this before in the New King James, and I, I never saw it this way about discipline. Everybody say discipline. So the word discipline and correction goes hand in hand. So every time you see the word correction, I want you uh, it's discipline. But listen to me. We have to have the right, right view of discipline because what we think of discipline is how our fathers disciplined us or how our moms disciplined us or how our bad church leaders disciplined us and said, you're not worthy, you're not going to do anything. That's not the discipline that I'm, I'm talking about. There's a very pure discipline that comes straight from the love of God, but it does hurt because we, he's trying to shape our erratic behavior. Now watch this. Hebrews 12, verse 5 through 11. Everyone say amen. Passion translation. I'm going to read real quick. And have you forgotten this encouraging word spoken to you as his children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of what? The discipline and training of the Lord. Come on, read this like it's for you. Don't get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. That means if you're getting disciplined, it's because he's faithful to you. Watch this. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. I'm going to read something that's going to blow your mind. Fully embrace God's correction. Everybody say, fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. In the, in the Passion Translation. Fully embrace it. For he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never has to be corrected? Lord, help that person. We all. Now, when I read this, I highlighted this in like big blue in my, in my notes. We all should welcome God's discipline. Watch this. Oh, my God. As the validation of authentic sonship. I'm going to read that again. We all should welcome God's, welcome God's discipline as the validation 
of authentic. Wait a minute. That means we are in this room are not authentic sons and daughters if we refuse God's corrections. For if we never once heard his correction, watch this, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. I have a word for, for RCC. Stop being strangers. Start yielding to the correction of the Lord right now. I feel the Holy Spirit. Some, some of you, you need correction in your life. I know I don't preach this often, but I'm just going to be bold today. Some of you need you to yield to God's correction. And stop thinking it's always about the other person. What is he trying to say about you? Is it always the other person's fault? Is it always something that somebody did to you? Or is there some area that you are walking in that you need correction and you don't like the preacher talking to you this way? Watch this. I'm going to continue. Watch this. And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers? Keep it up there. Watch this. And even though they corrected us and disciplined us, I'm going to be real quick. But watch this. Don't, don't, don't lag on me. Don't be unfocused. Don't be on your phone unless you're reading scripture. Then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for a short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them. But God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good. Say this with me. Giving us an invitation to share in his holiness. Now all discipline seems to be painful at the time. Yet later it will produce a transformation of character. That means you're not going to be the same person. What does transformation of character mean? That people look at you and you used to be angry all the time. Now you have this peace all over you. And they're like, what happened to you? And you're going to be like, I went through the fire. Somebody told me uh, a couple of years ago, Jody knows me for years. They, t- they told me, somebody they visited, they used to be a spiritual son and daughter. They're like, you seem more, um, you seem more, more uh, merciful <laughs> than when you were you know, a youth pastor, right? You seem calmer, right? And then they said, you're soft. You've gotten softer. And I looked at them. I go, I haven't got softer. I've got beaten down. And I'm smoother. I'm yielded. I'm more merciful. I can relate to someone who's hurting because I've been hurting. I'm not softer. I'm transforming my character. That's the difference. Because a lot of people, unfortunately, when they're young, they mistake boldness. They mistake boldness with being rude. They think that the more bold they are and more rude they are, the more, the more God's going to use them. It will bring a harvest of righteous living, the Bible says, in the correction of the Lord. So the pruning, I hear this from the Lord. Hear me now. Don't get distracted. Don't play with things. Listen to me. This is important. I'm coming to a close in five minutes here. Some of you are in the last stage, and you're about to give up. Some of you in the pruning process where you're bearing fruit, and now all of a sudden, the moment you start bearing fruit, all hell is breaking loose in your home. And you're saying, man, it was better when I didn't do this. It was better when I didn't come to church. It was better when I didn't serve the Lord. Why? Because there's an enemy that's trying to stop you from getting to the place where he wants you to be. So now he prunes you. And, and, and some of you, I feel this from the Lord. I don't know why. But sometimes pruning, I want to say this, is because you're bearing fruit. Church, I got news for you back there. If you're being pruned, it's because he sees you're bearing fruit. And he wants to give you bigger ones. He wants you to graduate from little grapes to watermelons. I'm serious. He wants to grow bigger fruit. Watch this. What is fruit symbolic of? Character. Your words. Your life. Do you get offended very easily? That's a part of the pruning process. I could talk on that because I used to be offended very easy years ago. And God had to prune me. And you know how he prunes me? By bringing offense to me. I'm like, what? No. I'm like, Lord, deliver me from jealousy. And then he brings someone that's, that's your jealous sits right next to you. That's happened to me before. I, years ago when I was a baby Christian, I battled with jealousy. And I said, Lord, take this away from me. And the guy that I was jealous with sat right next to me in a conference. I'm like. God says, I'm going to. Watch this, watch this. I'm not going to do it for you. I'm going to give you opportunity. See, God brings opportunities. 
So I had to change the way I view this person. I had to repent. And I remember saying to this person, hey, you don't know this, but I'm jealous of you, man. What? What's wrong with you? I said, uh, it's nothing that you did. It's something that is an insecurity in me. And I repented. I remember. I remember. And that day, I never forget, every, there was a prophetic conference. You know those old school prophetic conferences? You stand up. You, and the word the Lord says, and the Lord says. And I'm like, I'm moving like so the prophet can see me. I'm like, Bruh. I'm like, give me a word. I'm, seriously, I was like, <laughs> trying to get the prophet's attention. And he pointed in my direction. He goes, you. I go, me. He goes, no. He goes, no, him. Stand up. <laughs> Thus says the Lord to you. Watch this. You've been rejected by the church. That's what he said. He said, you've been rejected even by the church because of your giftings. And the Lord says to you, I'm raising you up. And I'm sitting there going. There was no word for me, but that was the word for me. Sometimes God doesn't do it for you. He gives you an opportunity. Yield to this pruning. Whatever the pruning is, it may be someone not in your life anymore that's not a good influence. It may be uh, God challenged you to, to take away some things in your life, but it's because you're being pruned. But others in this room, I'm closing with this, others in this room, you're being smoothed out, but you're you're a little bit erratic and so God has to bring correction to you listen to me just because you think something is true doesn't mean it's true all the time I have people they're so passionate so zealous try to you know tell me this and try to tell me that I'm like okay 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 you're wrong in this you didn't preach that well I'm like uh, yeah and it's usually the people that never started a church never uh, don't go behind the pulpit and they're criticizing me but I've learned how to just say, it's all right. Maybe God is trying to say something to me. But this is why I feel this way. Lastly, you see these. This is good. Everybody say this is good. The rock is smoothing you out. The rock, not the devil, is smoothing your marriage out. The rock is smoothing your character out. The rock is smoothing and pushing that behavior out of you because he wants watch this, to take you out of the hiding place now here's significant, this is how I'm again I hear the Lord about to strike the enemy and he's going to use his sons and daughters but you three, see these three little things they're called Fletchers, everybody say Fletchers I looked up the definition of Fletchers put that up, this is the last thing, put that up real quick Fletching creates wind drag and also causes the arrow to spin. See, without these things, it can't fly right. It's ready, but now the, the, the maker has to put these three things, and then it's ready for flight. Watch this. Spins like a bullet, providing stability and accuracy in flight so it can reach and strike its target. Now, you could identify these three, and I didn't get them from a book, but in my life, I've identified these three things that are we need in our life in order to fly right. Straighten up and fly right here's the final thing it's been soaked in wood it's been soaked in oil listen, it's gone through the trials the tribulation, now it's coming out now when it comes out and the rock smooths it out smooth it out they put these Fletchers in and the first one, I'm calling faithfulness and consistency it's all one, it's two words but I'm calling it faithfulness and consistency because you could be faithful and not consistent. That's not what God is looking for. If you're faithful to church once a month, that's not going to do anything for you. And it's not going to do anything for your marriage. It's not going to do anything for your life. If you're faithful once a week just to pray, it's not going to give you major breakthrough. Faithfulness and consistency throughout your years. Hello? Am I speaking to somebody? In other words, after 20 years, you're still serving the Lord. You're still faithful. That you can't fly right if you don't have that discipline in you. Number two, look at the, 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 the next one, humility. The next Fletcher, I believe, for me, you have to have humility. Because without humility, we will always, always fall. Why? He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, listen, and he will exalt you in due time. What's the key for exaltation? Humility. That means you're, this is your fight, Lord. 
not mine. This is your fight. I'm humbling myself before God, and you do this. You do this. Some of you are much better preachers than me, much better uh, historians than me, but for some weird reason, God chose me. I, I don't, this is not, this is not, I'm not perfect, and you probably could do it better than me. But you have to stay humble. Listen, one thing I've learned about humility is such a big attribute that either you do it or God will do it for you. Either you either you humble yourself or God will humble you. And I think I've experienced a little bit of both. I've experienced a little bit of God humbling me and me having to humble myself. That's one of the greatest attributes. And the last thing to fly, here it is, last thing to fly, you can't do this right without holiness. Faithfulness and consistency, humility and holiness. And then, come here, PK. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it because I want to hurt the worship team. Then God now says, you're ready to get on the bowl. Now I've polished you. Now you've yielded to my correction. You've stayed standing. You're still strong. You're still loving the Lord. Yes, you're weak, but I'm shaping you, and I'm taking all this junk out of you. Now you're ready. For the arrow to be released and hit the bullseye. That bullseye is the heart of the enemy's plans for your family. He's about to strike the earth with his arrows. He's about to get his arrows that have been hidden in the quiver for a long time. And he's going to say, it's time to take you out and launch you out. Because I'm going to hit this enemy and I'm going to use my people to destroy and dismantle and disrupt and confuse the works of the enemy. It's time to yield to the process of the polished arrow. Come on, how many say amen to that? Come on, lift up your hands right now before the Lord as we close. Come on, God is shaping me. Come on, say God is shaping me into a polished arrow. Come on, say, God is shaping me. Come on, say, the rock is pruning me and disciplining me so I could be smooth and Christ-like. And today, I welcome the pruning and the discipline of the rock. Come on, lift up your hands right now. We're going to worship and then we're going to dismiss. Come on, I'm going to ask God to release you. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.